0: 19 of Darkness and Daylight, or Lights and Shadows of New York Life. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Read by Michelle Kinge from Surrey, United Kingdom. Darkness and Daylight or Lights and Shadows of New York Life, Chapter 19 by Helen Campbell Heavenly Charities Sister Irene's Mysterious Basket Homes for Foundlings and Little Waifs Near Lexington Avenue, between 68th and 69th Streets, stands the New York Foundling Asylum, an enormous building, of simplest construction, the main portion, six stories high, with various outgrowths, which on examination proved to be hospitals and other departments connected with the institution. Possibly the visitor has come straight from the children's ward in St. Luke's Hospital, with its many free beds endowed by Sunday school classes, or by some mother in memory of her own little ones seeing the perfect care given there one cannot but wonder how it fares with the myriad other babies who must be part of the misery that abounds in the swarming tenement houses of both the east and west sides what is done with the hundreds upon hundreds of motherless or worse than motherless little ones it is this asylum which affords one answer and which 25 years ago had no existence. Popular feeling was strongly against foundling asylums of any order. Their need had been often discussed by charitable bull workers, but it was felt in the various churches to which such work was long confined that if crime were shielded it must necessarily increase. Paris, with its enormous foundling asylums, was pointed to as an illustration of all we should most wish to escape and thus little waifs fared as they could room being made for them in homes and asylums ill adapted to such use and where all such work was carried on at the greatest disadvantage as usual in these cases a woman began the solution of the problem its ethical bearings did not enter her head she had long worked among the poor she knew what temptation meant and how often an innocent girl betrayed by a villain needed the support denied her by the pharisee and even by those who wished to help yet feared some compromising quality in the act what thoughts went on under sister irene's close black bonnet she does not tell it is sufficient to our purpose that the basket was bought and that on october morning in eighteen sixty nine the rain pouring as if to wash out any possible stain entailed by the act the people in twelfth street saw in the doorway of number seventeen a curious little basket softly lined and for a mysterious purpose which nobody could fathom men looked at it as they went to business and wondered if anybody had set it down and forgotten to take it in it was still there when they returned home at night and a light gleamed above it but its purpose was no plainer than when day dawned and found it there far into the night when the solitary footsteps of an occasional pedestrian Echoed loudly in the silent street, a frightened woman stole toward the open doorway, casting startled looks around and behind her, and after long crouching in the shadow, softly crept up the steps. Something held close in her arms went with her, which she pressed to her breast again and again, and then with a burst of tears she laid it in the basket and silently hurried down the steps. Crouching again in the friendly shadow, she waited. Her face turned toward the doorway, till a baby's wail, followed by a sharp little cry, was heard, and she half sprung up and stretched her arms toward the basket. The door opened even as the cry came. A woman with a calm, gentle face stood for a moment. The flood of light from the hall bringing out every line of face and figure, then stooped and lifted the bundle to her shoulder, pressing the little face close to her own. The baby nestled to her as she passed into the hall, the door closed, and the woman, crouching in the darkness, stole away, bearing her secret with her. Another babe was found on the stoop during the night, in spite of the rain that was falling in torrents, The next night came two women, each with her burden, which was laid in the basket, and twice again the door opened, and the black-robed figure responded to the feeble cry that had only to sound to be heard. Out of the cold and dark, into warmth and light and care, went each helpless tenant of the waiting basket, and news soon went out that here no questions were asked, No demands were made, but help and comfort were always waiting. Within a month, the number of babies reached 45. The house was full. This is the story of Sister Irene's little house on 12th Street, the first foundling asylum in the United States. Never was anything on smaller scale often she rose in the morning utterly uncertain as to where the day's food was to come from and always before night help came and the work went on doubt as one might the wisdom of such undertaking there were babies and they must be fed ladies sent in food money and bundles of little garments often from the drawer where they had been laid with tears as the bereaved mother folded them away in memory of the little one who had put on angel raiment. These bereaved mothers took turns at watching, preparing food, and all the thousand cares of nursery, and Sister Irene and her nuns did the rest. Up to this time infanticide had been common, and abandonment on the streets no less so. Twenty years ago, scarcely a morning passed without its being recorded in the daily journals that the body of a newborn babe had been found floating near the docks, buried in an ash barrel, or flung into some lonely area. Each day, an armful of little unfortunates picked up by the police on their night beats were carried to the almshouse on Blackwell's Island to be bottle fed. By the aged paupers rarely surviving their infancy there was no place for these little waifs in charitable institutions for the charters did not admit them and even now with a place offering itself it was doubtful if it must not depend upon private charity for support the matter came up for consideration and the city fathers finally settled to pay a trifling amount per head for the baby's support this was the beginning and during the twenty years that have gone by since sister irene lifted the first tiny occupant of the basket to the motherly breast that has never known motherhood over twenty-two thousand babies have been cared for by her and her helpers long ago the 12th street home proved utterly inadequate and the great building on lexington avenue received them to become in turn all too small for the crowds that apply the main building now accommodates 600 babies and 300 mothers and besides these 1200 are put out to nurse In any poor family where a baby has died, the mother can take one of these little waifs, provided the doctor gives a certificate that the applicant is responsible and in fair health. For this, the city pays $10 a month, but the woman must bring the child to the asylum once a month on the payday fixed, where it is inspected by the sisters before she receives her wage picture a helpless babe a day or two old either laid reluctantly in the crib by a poor broken-hearted mother or abandoned pitilessly under cover of night on the steps or in the neighbourhood of the asylum a little one entering is first registered receiving a name and number and is then temporarily placed in one of the nurseries In a few days, it is confided to a nurse in the outside department. Within a week, her home is visited by the asylum detective to gain positive assurance that she is worthy of the trust. For the next three years, the foundling is a member of its foster mother's family and is known as a rent baby. Once a month on payday, she takes it to the asylum for inspection and if sick it must be carried there for treatment. Time passes on. The baby has become a run-around and is recalled to the asylum. This time there are bitter tears shed over the foundling by the foster mother who declares that the little stranger brought a blessing upon her home. If it is ill it is taken in at the hospital for treatment and here its troubles often end. But the percentage of deaths is less than one would be expected, and of all the mothers who serve as deputies, the majority give good care and often grow so attached to their little charges that adoption follows. Shortly after the opening of the asylum, a second branch of work, until then uncontemplated, forced itself upon the sisters' attention, One day a young woman came with her baby and pleaded not to leave it, but to be received into the house with it. As provision had been made for foundlings only, she was refused. A few hours later, the woman returned and renewed her entreaties, saying her friends had cast her off. She had no shelter for the night. Might she not remain with her child? Money was given her for her present need. But once more, she was refused admission. In the evening, she came again and said there was but one alternative. If the sisters would not consent to take her, she would go and destroy herself. If they allowed her to stay with her child, she would work for them and nurse another baby with her own. These last words were a revelation for painful experience had taught that, with the most unwearied care and vigilance, it was almost impossible to raise a number of infants by hand. The babies would gain by this extension of the work, as well as the poor, homeless mothers. The girl, by her own importunity, had opened a refuge for thousands who, since then, have sought the shelter of the asylum it is a noteworthy fact that of the many nationalities represented irish french german and italian it is the italian mothers who bring back the healthiest looking babies and under whose nursing the weaklings soonest begin to thrive they mother them like their own and it is mothering or the want of it that means life or death to the waifs that save for happy chance will never know the portion of real childhood. In the great asylum on Lexington Avenue, the outgrowth of Sister Irene's little basket, she still rules. The face is more than twenty years older than on that stormy night in which her basket held its first tenant, but it is even more peaceful and bright. Her shoulders are bowed, her day of work nearing its end, but she cannot enter a ward, but that the children tumble over each other in eagerness to even touch her, and her pride in them is something beautiful to see, as she pauses to admire the delicate skin of one, the bright eyes of another, the larger babies quarrel as to which shall open the door for her, or rejoice as she singles out one for special attention. They learn rhymes to please her. They even make no protest against the sorest of childhood trials, face-washing, if it is to make ready for Sister Irene's coming. And a forest of small hands wave a parting greeting as she passes through the open door. There is another reminder of her beginning of this beneficent work. In the marble corridors of the great building hang pictures of saints and children, each one a gift and each with its special significance. In the vestibule there is no longer a basket, but a basinette with its pretty canopy of pink and white, and it knows as many pitiful stories as the old receptacle which it long ago replaced. In the long wards with their white canopied cribs, one sees white-capped nurses caring for their small charges as diligently as if it were their sole thought in life. It is hard to believe that they are themselves on probation, proving here their repentance and desire for a better life. Two or three sisters are always with the babies, and the larger children follow them about, or are busy with the bright papers and toys of the kindergarten. There are two kindergarten classes, each numbering about fifty a more charming sight can hardly be imagined than that presented by these children of misfortune laughing and singing at their games or grasping in their tiny fingers the various kindergarten gifts the least observant visitor on beholding the large assemblage of older children in the full tide of enjoyment and happiness would quite forget the sad page in their history They are not in uniform, that depressing fact of most asylums. On the contrary, each child seems to wear a different colour, and the pretty locks of all are banged and tied with bright ribbons as carefully as if a mother's hand had done it. One fact might be dwelt upon by all mothers. These twelve hundred and more babies have the purest complexions, the result of the absolute regularity with which they are fed and cared for. No food is allowed between meals, but not one of them goes hungry, and the majority have a contented and comfortable look. All nationalities are here, and every shade of colouring, and every type of feature, and often a beauty of both feature and expression that wins all hearts at once at three years old a baby's life under sister Irene's roof must end. Up to that age, the mother may claim it if she will. After that, it can be legally adopted by anyone, though under the charge of the sisters till its majority. It has been deemed best to find homes for them outside the city, and an agent visits the parties applying for children to adopt, and travels in the West, securing homes. The number of applications is large, and they are of all orders. One writes, We want a nice little red-headed boy. I have a red-haired wife and five red-headed little girls, and we want a boy to match. Another, in an order for a little brown-haired and blue-eyed girl, adds, She must have a pretty nose. While another writes, "'Send us a smart, stout, saucy boy of six, Irish parents!' "'Good tidings come from the West concerning the little ones "'who have been sent out to brighten childless homes. "'Some are declared to be the sweetest and dearest little children in the world. "'Others are the smartest in school, "'and one and all of the adopted parents express in different ways "'the same sentiment that they could not possibly get on without them. Many persons who have seen them in the care of others desire to obtain similar treasures for themselves, and the agent, during his western tours of inspection, has little difficulty in selecting homes for a band of forty or fifty. And then comes the excitement of departure. The children, all animation and eagerness at the thought of the dear papa's and mamma's who are at last sending for them, assemble in the playroom to be prepared for their journey. They are dressed in their neat, warm cloaks and pretty hoods by those who have been to them as loving mothers and who could scarcely bear to send them forth to an unknown future but for their confidence in him who has promised i will never leave thee nor forsake thee the roll is called to make sure that all appointed for the journey are at hand and then accompanied by several sisters the little ones are placed in the stages that are to convey them to the station the novelty of the ride and the bustle of the depot interest and amuse them and it is only when they are settled in the car that is to take them to their destination, and the sisters turn to leave them, that they realise the parting from their first friends, and the journey is begun amid sobs and tears. But childish griefs are short-lived, and by the time the West is reached, bright little faces are peeping out, anxious to catch the first glimpse of those who are eagerly awaiting them. As far as it could be expected, they have met with parental care and love, and in their innocence fondly imagine that they have found their lost father and mother. It is most affecting to behold a little troop starting for these far-off homes. In response to the question, Little one, where are you going? The reply invariably comes, "'To my papa and mamma, "'Many of them regularly correspond with Sister Irene. "'One wrote, "'Dear Sister, I hope you are well, "'and I would like to hear from you. "'I am getting a big boy now, "'and I am nine years old. "'I am getting along in my books very well. "'Tell Mr. Hughes to send me that goat. "'I have a sloop, and she got frozen in the ice, "'and I could not hardly get her out. "'Goodbye.' Another wrote, Dear sister, I thought I would write to you and send my report so that you can see how I am getting along in my lessons. I got the prize last month for taking the highest percent in spelling. I am beginning to save my money, and I have 44 cents. I have had a real nice time this winter, sliding on my sled. I am well, and so is Mama. Goodbye. Mama and I send love to you, your little boy, F. Some of the children first sent out have already reached maturity and have chosen a calling. Some are happily married and often write letters showing how gratefully and affectionately they remember those who protected them in infancy. This is the sunny side of the work. There is another. The hospital. Its wards filled with disease, deformity and suffering the penalty of the parent's sins. Here are the incurables, some of whom will linger in pain and suffering year after year, but many will soon escape to the happier country, where they shall no more say, I am sick. The little faces, worn and spiritualized by suffering, are still cheerful. Every possible alleviation is there. But pain rules and must rule in the tortured little bodies, which have never known any other life but suffering. Beyond these wards is the quarantine, connected with the other buildings by iron bridges, by means of which little patients, sick with any contagious disease, can be conveyed there without going through the other buildings. To meet the total expenses of this great work, nearly two hundred and seventy five thousand dollars a year are required and voluntary contributions are depended upon to a considerable extent this foundling asylum is a type of the many homes which year by year have grown up for children fifteen thousand of whom are now the charge of city or private charity there are orphan asylums of every order white and coloured Catholic and Protestant. Every hospital has its children's ward, and there are special ones for every form of disease. Near Sister Irene's home is a new venture, hardly five years in existence, but of equal helpfulness in its way. It is only one large house, known as the Baby's Hospital, and capable at its utmost of holding not over 40 babies. It is for the sick, not for the well, and gives summer outings for the severest cases. None are turned away, not even the dying, and these come oftener than might be supposed, since hard-working mothers cannot or do not stop till the last moment to attend to a baby, sick or well. Contagious diseases are excluded, but everything else is undertaken, and sooner or later finds its way here. Every police station, all the charitable associations, all the mission rooms, have been notified that here is a refuge for all sick children. Mothers are suspicious of hospitals and believe them places built for experiment upon the poor. But the mother who has once had her baby under treatment here persuades all she knows to try it for their own. There are a number of free cribs, it costs three thousand dollars to endow a crib for one's lifetime, and two hundred and fifty dollars to maintain it for a year. The children of Elberon, where President Garfield died, pay this sum yearly for a crib over which their name hangs, and there is one crib for which a wealthy mother gave five thousand dollars, thus endowing it for ever." Here, as in many children's wards in hospitals, the real difficulty is often found to be that the babies have never been properly fed, and a week or two of good food cures the supposed disease. The most interesting spot in this hospital, after the babies themselves, each in its crib with white coverlet, warm blanket, and pretty blue, pink, or lilac puff tufted with knots of gay worsted, is the kitchen, where all their food is prepared. Here stands the great cans of milk, bottles of baby food, beef juice, and all that baby needs require. Beyond is the cold room, and in it stands a great case, similar to a row of post office boxes, one for each baby, and labelled with its name. In it is placed daily, the food it is to have. Chosen after the doctor's prescription, and in bottles stopped with the latest discovery, baked cotton batting. Germs of disease being a part of the air one must breathe in the cities, or indeed anywhere, save on mountain tops. it becomes specially necessary to guard against them in a hospital, and it has been found that they cannot penetrate through baked cotton batting. So baked it is and these babies have purer food than often falls to the lot of most fifth avenue children there is one scene that nightly appeals to those in charge of the homeless little ones at the five points house of industry it is repeated at other points of the great city wherever indeed rise the walls of a child's asylum or protectory but here in this first and oldest of all aids for the helpless ones it seems to have special significance and most touching appeal round about the great room with its rows of little iron cots covered with snowy white spreads the only home these tiny waifs have ever known kneeled the babies of three years and upwards With folded hands, eyes tight shut, or opening for a moment's survey of the others, the little lips repeat in unison the prayer that happy mothers in many a home bend to hear. Now I lay me down to sleep. I pray the Lord my soul to keep. Be sure that it is heard, and that for each and all of these little ones there is a watch and ward in that kingdom where none may enter save as they become as little children the new training school for children's nurses which is intended to give thorough training to all who are to have the care of young children has four of its students on duty here through the day and they may even serve a term as regular nurses after their two years course is over, for this, and all the other hospitals for children, is a type of care impossible even a few years ago. The standard has risen year by year, till now every appliance of science is brought to bear, even the hospital for incurables, furnishing its quota of experience and suggestion there are many institutions devoted to this heavenly charity the two i have imperfectly described are typical forms in which the passion for helpfulness and the saving of life find marked expression but the city has other charities no less worthy and the story of any one told in full would make a volume each page of which might well if praise were in question be printed in letters of gold and bound like beautiful missals of old in vellum jewel set with all rare and costly work of monkish pens and gravers. End of chapter nineteen.